Hello and welcome to Servant's Heart Chapel. I am Pastor Daryl, and I hope today's episode is a special blessing to you. <clears throat> All right, if you have your Bibles, we are going to turn to John chapter 1. We're actually going to cover a couple different passages. Uh, John is the first one. This is all about the disciples being called. Would you like a Bible? Hmm? Oh, you have one? I'll share with him. Okay. John chapter 1. Um, We'll be beginning with verse 35. Right off the bat, I want to make it very clear something that uh, many people seem to struggle with. There's a lot of debate about, um, a lot of angst uh, towards those of us who believe this, but the reality is Jesus is real. He is the Son of God, Son of God the Father. He is God. He died to pay for our sins and came back to life. Those don't look like coloring books. That's fine. Okay. Came back to life. He now sits at the right hand of the Father and advocates for us while He waits to return, and someday he will. There are those who seek Christ, those who are brought by others to Christ, those whom Christ seeks himself, and those who come with doubt, without doubts, and those who come with doubts. And we're going to see examples of most of these in today's sermon. Beginning with verse 36. On John chapter 1, when he, being John, saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. Where did, where did he get that from? He, he actually repeated that from, and what does that mean? The Lamb, why would he call Jesus the Lamb of God? We see he repeated what was said in verse 29. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But still, what does that mean? I think we can get an idea of it if we first move over to Exodus chapter 12. You can stay where you're at and listen to me read or follow along, whatever is most convenient for you. But Exodus chapter 12 and, and verse... Actually, the whole chapter, we're just going to kind of gloss over. I believe chapter 12 should have a little bit of an introduction. So here at this time, the Israelites, God was going to deliver them from slavery in Egypt. And and God had one more plague for the Egyptians, that all the firstborn would be killed. Animals and man, all the firstborn would be killed. But he gave specific instructions to the Israelites. The Israel, each Israelite family would designate a Passover lamb. And if the family couldn't afford 
one lamb on their own. They would go in together with another family and they would sacrifice this lamb to God in atonement for their sins. And, and, and the blood of that lamb was spread over the doorposts of each household. And that night when the angel of death passed through on his way to work God's wrath on the Egyptians for not following God's orders, anytime the angel of death saw the blood on the doorposts, he, would, he passed over them. That's where we're going to turn Passover. Their life was spared because of the sacrifice made by that lamb. And then if we... Yeah, I'm going to quickly go into Isaiah... Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7. Where Isaiah prophesies on Jesus. Chapter 53, verse 7. Are you looking for Isaiah? It's toward the end of the Old Testament, not New Testament. No. Probably the best thing, what I did until I got good at the, at the uh, books is just look at the table of contents. Oh, that's what she's doing? Yeah. 521. Chapter 53. So, 44. Yeah, because I, 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 it might be good for you to see this for our, our, yourself. Isaiah here prophesies on the coming Messiah 700 years before Christ. So almost 1,000 years before Jesus arrived, where he was born, Isaiah, this prophet, had this to say in verse 7. He was oppressed and afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to slaughter, like a sheep silent before her shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was taken away because of oppression and judgment, and who considered his fate? For he was cut off from the land of the living. He was struck because of my people's rebellion. Jesus, John, When he said, Behold the Lamb of God, he was saying, Behold the Messiah, the one, our, our coming leader that we've been waiting for, and the one who would bear our sins, would be God's Passover Lamb for us. He would die to pay for our sins. That is the guy. Back to John chapter... 1 verse 36. See, up to this point, the Israelites had, had been practicing uh, uh, animal sacrifice as God had, had prescribed for them to do. But the animal didn't save sins. It, it was a foreshadowing of what was to come. 
and also to impress upon their minds that sin has a cost. That someday there would be the Lamb of God, the real one. The others were just symbols of the Lamb of God. And I take, and, and by the way, in, in verse 29 where he talks about taking away the sin of the world, that word literally means to lift up and carry yourself and take it away. It's taking away the burden. It implies taking away this burden. And it also implies taking away so it's not going to affect you anymore. And that's exactly what Jesus does in our lives. When we confess our sins to him and, and surrender our lives to him, he forgives us and he takes away that burden. And, and we're no longer held accountable. The Bible says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Condemnation is a big word. It just simply means you're not guilty. No longer held guilty. So verse uh, 37, the two disciples heard him say this and followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and noticed them following him, he asked them, what are you looking for? Interesting question. He doesn't introduce himself. He doesn't, it doesn't, I, I, there, there's all kinds of questions he could have asked, but he asked them about their heart's intent. Why are you here? And that's important, as we'll see later. What do you seek? Someone uh, about this wrote, Have you any object deeper than mere curiosity about Jesus? For Christ desires to be followed intelligently or not at all. At all times, at times, he, 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 he used the, uh, the winnowing fan to blow away the chaff of the great crowds that followed him. You know what a winnowing fan is? They used to use to, to blow away the chaff from the wheat. The chaff wasn't useful. And there was a lot of chaff in the crowds that followed him. Some were following him for all the wrong reasons. Some just were hoping that he would make more bread as he did when those miracles worked. Some were just wanting to be part of, of the excitement of the crowds. They, they were doing it for the wrong reasons. And so many follow because of the fashion. They have no opinion of their own. So, uh, so many follow experimentally and then drop off at fir the first difficulty of life. So many follow under uh, misapprehension and mistaken expectations. I've seen that a lot. Some who came to him with great expectations left in shame and sorrow. Some thought to make use of him uh, for their own ends left him in anger that they, when they found themselves unmasked, and one thought to skillfully use him for the gratification of his own selfish worldliness and discover there's no sure path to eternal ruin. 
and that was Judas. Now they said to him, finishing 37, they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Verse 39, come and you'll see, he replied. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. It was about 10 in the morning. Come and see. If those who, who know not the salvation of God would come at the command of Christ, they should see that with him is the fountain of life, and in his light they should see light. Many don't come because they want to they want to see before they come. That's not how it works. They're not willing to trust Christ. They're not willing to risk anything to change, no matter their circumstances. Did you know people hate change? I saw a lot of that when I worked in the military and process improvement. I one shop where the guys were in a, working in a very dark place. It was misorganized. There was a lot of miscommunication. It was a really difficult place to work. And 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 they told me, Sergeant Underwood. I hate coming to work every day, but there's nothing you can do about it. You can't fix it. You know what was interesting? I went to another base about 20 miles away to another shop that did the same exact work, same exact type of work. And I walked in, and the place was well lit, and it was nicely organized, and, and, and things seemed to be going very efficiently. And there was an airman sitting at his desk singing. Complete opposites. They couldn't see that. They couldn't see that they, they were in really rough conditions and they, they, couldn't, uh, they couldn't get themselves to, to risk the change. They would rather stay in the muck. And I see a lot of people in sin and struggling Christians willing to stay in the muck rather than risk change. They feel safer in it, even though they're miserable. They're absolutely miserable. The tragedy is there is zero risk. What Jesus says is true. You will find abundant life. You will find rest. You will find joy. You will find purpose. You will find forgiveness. This will all happen if you just surrender to Christ. Now in verse 40, Andrew, Simon's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed him. He first found his own brother, Simon, and told him, We have found the Messiah, which means anointed one. We have found him. In his book, uh, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus, Nabil Qureshi chronicled his testimony of coming to Christ. It's a wonderful book. I just read it a little while ago. But over this time, he, he was searching with an honest heart, and he found out the Bible is true. He found out Jesus is God, and that Jesus did die and come back to life. 
He started out as a devout Muslim, and he found the Messiah. He found Jesus. And that got me thinking about Lori. She was far from God. And she found Jesus, and he radically transformed her life. And I think about my own life. I was far from God, and I found Jesus, and Jesus radically transformed my life. And so can you, but finding requires searching. I seem to lose things more and more as I get older. Maybe it's a a part of being older. But if I lost my keys and I went and sat on the couch, and made no effort to search for my keys, how likely would it be that I find my keys? Unless I just happen to sit on my keys, which is possible. Right? If you don't find something, if we've, We've lost dogs before. I know you guys have too. And, and what do you do? You go out searching. You drive the car around. You call after the dog. You put signs on the post. You put it. Now you can do social media and put it on Facebook. Hey, have you seen this dog? There's an active searching effort. And if you decide not to search, it's highly unlikely that you'll find your dog again. Finding requires searching. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in spirit, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The invitation to come requires something for us, from us, an effort to seek him. Jesus said, come to me. He's asking us to make an effort to him. And, and this is not new. This is not a new concept. In Deuter- Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 29, we read from there, You will search for the Lord your God and you'll find him when you seek him with all your heart and all your soul. Here's the bad news. You won't find Jesus unless you seek him with all your heart and all your soul, unless you're actually serious. You're not playing games. Here's the good news. If you seek God with all of your heart and all of your soul, you will find Him. Every time. Why? Because God doesn't play games. In verse... uh, Verse 42, and and he brought Simon to Jesus. When Jesus saw him, he said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which means rock. Your name is now Simon, but... It'll be rock. 
First off, I want to point out that Jesus knew who Peter was, knew where he came from. Jesus knows all about us. He knows all about your past. He knows all about your present. He knows every secret thought that you thought. He knows, and he knows what the direction of your life is going to take because he knows the decisions you're going to make. I also want to point out he called Jesus the rock. Peter at this time was not a rock. He thought he was, but he was wishy-washy. He told Jesus he's willing to die for him. He will never deny him. And Jesus said, yes, you are going to deny me. And that's exactly what Peter did. Peter even, even used profanity in his, in his uh, explosive uh, refusals to, to admit the idea that he knew Jesus. But he didn't stay that way. Because God the Holy Spirit worked on Peter's heart and transformed him. And he became the resolved force. The kind of leadership that the early church needed. He transformed. Verse 43, the next day he decided to leave for Galilee. Jesus found Philip and told him, follow me. Now Philip was from, hang on, I'm getting ahead of myself. So Jesus told, Jesus uh, told Philip, follow me. Are you willing to follow Jesus? What if it means giving up sin in your life? What if it means forgiving someone who hurt you? What if it means giving up on dreams or maybe even being called to missions, being able to have to being expected to uproot your life and go to a faraway place for Christ? What if it means just doing something uncomfortable? What if it means complete surrender? Because that's what it does mean. Will you follow? If you do, I guarantee you that you will not be disappointed. So Jesus tells him, follow me. Verse 44, now Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and so did the prophets, Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathanael asked him. You see, Nathaniel probably knew his scriptures and knew the prophecies and knew the coming Messiah was supposed to come out of Bethlehem. And there was no prophecy about anything good coming out of Nazareth. He didn't know that Jesus was in fact born in Bethlehem. And his expectations were completely torn apart with the reality that is Jesus. view and sin 
is completely turned upside down when we meet the man from Nazareth. You see, the world would have us believe that most sin is harmless. But under Christ, we learn how destructive all sin is. The world would have us believe a moral life is constraining and reduces happiness. But under Christ, we learn we've never been freer and discover we never knew true happiness before Christ. The world would have us believe that we should decide what is best for us. But under Christ, we learn that we are terrible at knowing what is best for us and find it much better to leave in God's hands. Now, Philip's answer to Nathaniel, can anything good be in, in Nazareth, is interesting. He says, come and see. We might say today, see for yourself. Psalms 30, and God calls us to do just that. Psalm 34, 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. We are invited to try. To put our trust in Jesus and see what happens. I promise you, you'll never regret it. God will never let you down. You might say, God has let me down. And that begs the question, what were your expectations? Usually it's, God didn't give me what I wanted, so therefore he's let me down. I'd argue there was good reason that God did not give you what you wanted. In Isaiah 38 and 39, we won't be going to it, but in there is the tragedy of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a king, powerful man, very wealthy. Life was good. But then a prophet came and told him that God said, get your affairs in order, you are about to die. And Hezekiah didn't like that idea. He wasn't ready to die yet. He, he was enjoying his life. And so he cried and asked God to, 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 to heal him. And God told him that he would give him 15 more years. And he did give him 15 more years. But what came from that? During those 15 years, Hezekiah sinned greatly before God and caused a lot of problems in Israel. None of that would have happened if Hezekiah had just followed God. So here... You know, when we have our expectations of how life should go and we ask God for help and we ask God to work it out that way and it doesn't work out that way, maybe we don't get healed. Maybe we don't get the higher paying job. Maybe our spouse doesn't come back to us. There's a good reason for it. Because here we have in the Bible, in Isaiah 38 and 39, we have an example of a man who, who got what he wanted in spite of what God wanted. God went ahead and let him have what he wanted. And it did not turn out well. I think I would rather let God have what he wants. Sometimes that means pain in life. I was talking to a young man 
uh, earlier this week, and and he was he he's gone through a lot of tragedy in the past couple of years, and he's still a teenager, so that's a lot. And two years to a teenager is a long, long time, and so he he's still recovering from these tragedies, and and he's he's a little shell shocked. He's a little concerned about what other bad things going to happen in the future. And he, he knows he worries about it too much. And I said, well, don't worry about it. Something bad is going to happen in the future. The Bible promises it. You will have tribulation. But then God encourages us. Where Jesus said, I have overcome the world. We're going to go through challenges. But here's a cool thing. We don't go through challenges alone. We don't go through tragedy alone. We don't go through disappointment alone. Jesus is with us every step of the way. Seven, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Here is a true Israelite. No deceit is in him. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you, Jesus answered. Rabbi, Nathanael replied, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus responded to him, do you believe only because I told you I saw you, I saw you under a fig tree? You will see greater things than this. Then he said, I assure you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God descending and descending on the son of man. Jesus was telling Nathaniel, he's probably saying, it's good that you believe with such little, uh, such a little small revelation that Jesus knew him, knew what kind of man he was, and saw him somewhere else sitting under a fig tree. He said, more will come. And more did come. Because no one really knew, really conceptualized it. Maybe... Maybe a few did. But most had no idea. They thought the Messiah was going to be a political figure. To save Israel from their oppressors. But it was to save the whole world from their sins. Let's move over to Luke chapter 5. As we see some more interactions with disciples. I'm going to wrap this up. Verse 1, as the world was pressing, as the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear God's word, he was standing by Lake Gennesaret, or Sea of Galilee, as we normally call it. He saw two boats at the edge of the lake. The fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which belonged to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and was teaching the crowds from the boat. So here you have the, if you can imagine, you have the crowds, hundreds or thousands of people along the shore of the, of the Galilean Sea, and Jesus in a boat sitting down and talking to the crowds.
And when he finished, verse 4, he uh, finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Master, Simon replied, we've worked hard all night long and caught nothing, but at your word, I'll let down the nets. That's a little faith right there, isn't it? Here's a professional fisherman. He's been out all night long trying to catch fish. And here this guy, who he probably knew was a carpenter, because his other friends knew that he was a carpenter. And this carpenter was telling him, he's giving advice on fishing. Normally, most people would just blow that off, wouldn't they? But Peter saw something. Whatever he heard in Jesus, what Jesus was speaking, and what everybody was saying about him, he, he wanted to make sure Jesus knew that he had been fishing all night, just, I guess just in case he changed his mind. But he's like, at your word, I'll, I'll let down my net. In verse 6, when they did this, they caught a great number of fish, and their nets began uh, to, to tear. So they signaled to their partners on the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And when Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me because I'm a sinful man, Lord. When he realized who Jesus was for real, he felt his own uncleanness. Verse 9, For he and all those with him were amazed at the catch of fish they took, and so were amazed James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's partners. Don't be afraid, Jesus told Simon. From now on you'll be catching people. So then they brought the boats to land, left everything, and followed him. I close today with te- by telling you that Jesus is calling you. He's calling you to be forgiven of your sin and to walk in a close relationship with him. Jesus wants you to come to him so he can make you whole. This day, this moment, is not an accident. Jesus calls you now. Let's stand. Well, that's all for today. I hope it was a blessing to you. I do have one more thing to add. Uh, I have recently published a book entitled Stop Poisoning Yourself, Finding Joy in All Circumstances. Few of us realize the impact our, our thoughts have on our daily lives how it impacts our emotions, our relationships, including our relationship with God. Uh, in this book, I, I go through this very short, easy-to-read book. I go through what the Bible says about it how and what we can do uh, to eliminate poisonous thoughts in our lives. So to, if you're interested, go check it out. 
on uh, Amazon Kindle's website. You'll find it there. Just search for Stop Poisoning Yourself by Daryl Underwood. Enjoy your week. Have a wonderful day.